0: Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Joyce Erickson, again with BelieversBibleSchool.com. Welcome to this podcast, and we have entered into Chapter 2 of the Book of Acts. And chapter 2 gives the account of the day of Pentecost and the coming of the promise of the Holy Spirit to the believers in Jesus. And this day, this day of Pentecost, also marks the beginning of the church. So let's begin. Sit back and get comfortable, or if you're in your car, Whatever you're doing, enjoy as we study the second chapter. Or if you want to study along, get out your Bibles and um, take notes if you like. But I will be reading the scripture verses and I will be reading from the New King James Version. So as we enter into chapter 2, there are certain things that we have learned to bring us to this point so that we can continue on. We know that Jesus was crucified. He died and was buried at Passover in April of 29 AD. And then on the third day, God rose him from the dead. So as we go into chapter 2, we are in a period of time called the time of the Omer meaning the 50 days in between the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. The masses of Jews had gone home to plant their crops after the Feast of Passover, and they were awaiting the time of the plucking of their first fruit to bring back at the Feast of Pentecost in June so during this time of the omer jesus in his resurrected state appeared to many of his apostles for for the first out of the fifth or the first 40 days out of the 50 and it was during that time that jesus taught his disciples and his apostles on the kingdom of god so now 40 days had passed and jesus took his apostles to mount olive where he told them wait for the promise of the holy spirit who would come to and do you with power in only a few days he said not many days from now and then jesus ascended into heaven <clears throat> For the next 10 days, the apostles and the disciples of Jesus had been praying in the upper room, waiting on the fulfillment of the promise from Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was during this time that business was conducted, as well as prayers were given as they waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And because it was prophesied by King David in the Scriptures a thousand years before this, a new apostle needed to be appointed to replace the one who had betrayed their Messiah, in which history, of course, proves it was Judas Iscariot. Prayers were given and lots were cast, and Matthias was chosen To replace Judas. The first feast or the feast of Pentecost actually is called by several names. It can be referred to as the feast of first fruit Shavat, Feast of Weeks, or even the Feast of the Harvest. But regardless of what it is called, every year Pentecost meaning Fifty is celebrated 50 days after Passover, meaning sometime in June. And so as the 50th day after Passover was complete and the uh, day of Pentecost of 29 arrived, as it came upon the horizon, what we find is many thousands upon thousands of Jews and um proselytes, Gentile proselytes, meaning the Gentiles who had converted to Judaism uh, and merchants they were selling their wares all the and they had come from all over the known world to Jerusalem. They set up their tents all around the Temple Mount, and they are now ready to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, sharp. At the third hour of prayer, which is 9 a.m. in the morning, and here it is on that first day, and they are all ready. They brought their first fruits, those who were agricultural people, to um uh, the first fruits of the early harvest with them to offer to God at the temple. <coughs> So Passover, which we know is celebrated in the spring, commemorates the exodus of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt as they began their wandering in the wilderness for seven weeks, which was 50 days before coming to Mount Sinai. And that first Pentecost happened at Mount Sinai when God gave Moses his Ten Commandments after leaving Egypt. And as such, God's people entered into a covenant with God, the Mosaic Covenant, which Jews have observed since the year right around 1462 B.C., And so now it's 29 AD, almost 1500 years later, and unbeknownst to everyone, this second feast of of Pentecost was now coming, and God was ready to enter into a new covenant, the new covenant of the church. I do need to say the Orthodox Jews, in other words, those who do not believe in Christ, they have continued to celebrate that first Pentecost even to this day. So the first Pentecost, that happened before Mount Sinai, and now we're about to enter into the second Pentecost. So for a Jew living in Israel in the first century AD, the Feast of Passover and Pentecost were two of the three required feasts to attend each year. And they were the most attended feasts because warm weather permitted easier travel. And as such, spring and summer feasts brought Jews to Jerusalem from all over the known world. So now we are in June, a very favorable month weather-wise. So the Feast of Passover had come and gone, and now it was time to return to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Little did anyone know that this Pentecost would be the day a new covenant with God would take place. So that takes us into verse 1 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had, fin- had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. New King James Version so then, did the apostles and the disciples of Jesus know the exact date of the promise of the Holy Spirit when he would come? Probably not, even though Jesus did tell them when he ascended into heaven that it would only be a few days, and now it had been ten, and it is a feast day, the beginning of a feast day. So, The day of Pentecost was celebrated in Jerusalem by thousands upon thousands of Jews. And on this day, God chose this day to begin his second Pentecost, the birth of the church. The apostles and the disciples had been in the upper room now for 10 days, anxiously awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, whether they stayed all day or slept there at night, scripture does not tell us but we do know because they were committed Jews they were in the upper room at the hours of prayer which we know the third hour is 9 a.m sixth hour is noon and the ninth hour is three o'clock p.m they were all in the upper room at the hours of prayer praying in one accord as well as we know that they conducted business in between. So we have the sun dawning on Jerusalem early on that historical day of Pentecost in June of 29 AD as the people. They wanted to be on the Temple Mount to pray by that third hour of prayer, 9 a.m., That hour now was drawing close, and thousands upon thousands of people had just entered or was entering into the temple grounds as the gates were open before this third hour of prayer. They were gathering together all across the temple grounds, and throughout the city, when in a moment of time, a loud sound of a roaring wind and the sight of fire came across the sky, catching the attention of everyone on and around the Temple Mount, probably throughout Jerusalem. The wind traveled fierce and it landed on the upper room where the apostles and de- disciples were praying, which was close to the Temple Mount. And that brings us to verse 2 and 3. And now this would have drawn crowds of people from the Temple Mount as they came running down the road to the upper room where the fire rested upon the hundred and twenty disciples and apostles of Jesus, and they were all speaking in other tongues, they were speaking languages from all over the world, verse five through thirteen. <coughs> And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look! Are not all of these who speak Galilean? And how is it that we hear, each in our own language, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselyte, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? But then there were others who said, they are full of new wine. Because of the exiles to Assyria and Babylon that happened uh, several hundred years earlier, Jews had scattered all over the known Roman world, Oh, um, and continued to spread over the um, past few hundred years. And the Jews, they had come to the Feast of Pentecost all the way from Rome on one end, the western end, all the way over to Mesopotamia, representing every nation and language of mankind. Now, I might add, according to the Jewish New Testament uh, commentary, 70 is the traditional number of Gentile nations and languages of mankind. So imagine 120 Galilean Jews speaking 70 various languages to where the people could understand them. And with all the noise and the chaos, people still heard in their own language as they were speaking the wonderful works of God. What a miracle! Yet there were some who did think that they were drunk and they mocked them. But we need to be aware of that Jews never drank wine or alcohol during the hour of prayer. And that's where we are at, the third hour of prayer. All the apostles were Galilean and they were unlearned in the ways of the more educated Jews of Jerusalem, as well as other cities in Israel. And the Galileans, they were also considered very uneducated in the eyes of the Gentiles because they didn't know Greek or they didn't know any other language other than Aramaic. Galileans were more backward in their ways, again speaking Aramaic and probably a Hicks kind Hicks kind of Ville, kind kind of Aramaic at that. The only time really a Galilean left their area of Galilee is when they had to go to a feast in Jerusalem which was only three times a year. so they were not sophisticated like those in Jerusalem and they definitely stood out as people backward in their ways. So what the people were now witnessing in these Galileans was most certainly a miracle of God. So then, as the crowd quieted down, Peter now comes on the scene. Verse 14 and 15 But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said, "Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the third hour of the day. And we learned that Jews do not drink any sort of alcohol during their prayer time. So, and now it's only nine o'clock in the morning. So at that, Peter raised his voice and spoke out in a tongue and voice where everyone could understand. Now, this is a huge miracle. Everyone understood Peter, yet there were people from all over the Roman world, all who spoke different languages, not understanding the other languages, but they all understood pe- uh, peter in other words what they heard no matter what language peter spoke they each heard what he said in their own language now i'm only conjecting my opinion here but do you suppose what peter spoke and the people heard and understood was a special language a language that everyone could understand, it does not say here. However, knowing that nobody speaks and understands all languages, maybe, again, my opinion, God gave them a special language to where everyone could speak and understand as the Spirit wills. We'll talk more on that as we go further into the book of Acts. That was a huge miracle, what God did in each and every single person who listened to what Peter was saying. Verse 16 But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And we see this from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. Verse 17 And it came to pass in these last days, says God. Peter was now announcing a new dispensation. Remember, dispensation is a period of time where God is dealing with mankind. So here, Peter is announcing a new dispensation had arrived, the dispensation of the last days. Because God gave the Holy Spirit to the people on Pentecost, this Pentecost is now regarded to be the birthday of the Messianic community or call it the church or the age of grace, the beginning of the last days. It had finally arrived and we are now under the new covenant. So continuing on, what will come to pass in these last days, says God? Well, let's continue on. Um, In verse 17, he says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servant and on my maidservant. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let's go over these, uh, these different uh, uh, aspects here, where he says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What is he saying here? Well, the Holy Spirit is now available to all flesh. Those who believe and submit their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit then comes to live within that person to save and to comfort, reveal uh, truth, heal, teach, to be their guide in life. This was something new. This had not happened before. So then Peter goes on to say, as he's quoting from the book of, um, of Joel, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. No no longer was hearing from God given only to the prophets, sons and daughters. Those even new in Christ will have the indwelling Holy Spirit to speak the words of God to them. Now that didn't happen under the Mosaic law and peter continues to read joel your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams and on my men servant and on my maid servant in other words both the young and the old in christ can dream dreams and see visions from god because that's another way that god speaks to us and then peter said I will pour out my spirit on those in those days, and they shall prophesy again. The Holy Spirit will come in that day, the day of Pentecost, and continue to Jesus' returns and for those who receive Christ can prophesy, and this was never done before. And then he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So what we are seeing here is a glimpse of what will happen at the end of of these last days the end of the church age wonders in heaven signs on the earth blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the moon will even turn into blood now the book of revelation is more specific on that and this will all, all happen before that great and awesome day of the lord Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Greek word for saved is salvation, meaning salvation for your spirit, salvation for your soul, and salvation for your body, which um, is now referred to those call on the name of the Lord. In other words, all of you, spirit, soul, and body will be saved from that wrath that is to come in those last days upon the earth. Now, this is a promise from God. Verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, Peter said, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put him to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. A word that stood out to me in verse 22, men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. I looked that up in the Greek. That meant prove, exhibit, demonstrate, and accredit for. uh, uh, So in other words, Jesus, a man attested, uh, proven by God, exhibited and demonstrated and credited by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did in your midst. And another word that stood out for me was in verse 23, where him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And I looked up, foreknowledge means you thought about it before. This was all planned. And in other words... It was all planned in the thoughts of God that even though they did a horrible wrong, that God already knew that they would take by lawlessness because, um, and that God would raise them from the dead and God rose him from the dead because it was not possible that he would be held by death. So Jesus he is, are all, he's omnipotent, omnipresent, and omnipotent. In other words, omnipotent, he is all-powerful. Omnipresent, he's uh, he's ever-present. And omnipotent, he is all-knowing. God had all of this planned out long beforehand, how he was going to demonstrate and exhibit and accredit his son because he is the all-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing God. God knew, God knew Jesus' own people would betray him, but God used man's evil intent to fulfill his promise when he raised Jesus from the dead to live evermore. God is all-knowing. God is ever-present and all-powerful. So now Peter continues on, and he goes to the Scriptures, to us the Old Testament, to the Jews that was their Scriptures, or, or the Tanakh, of which they were very familiar. And Peter begins by quoting T- King David. So we are in verses 25 through 28. For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh always will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life, you will make me full of joy in your presence so familiar with this passage in scripture to us the old testament scripture peter is quoting from psalm 16 not speaking of king david as many people think he is um uh he is prophesying the messiah jesus the anointed one Jesus the Christ. So Jesus in his earthly body, remembering he became fully human, he still had to trust God that God would do for him what he promised. Jesus had to trust that his heavenly father was always there with him. He did not have to be afraid. But knowing that he was called to die for the sins of the world, He had to trust that God would not leave him in the grave, letting his body rot and decay, and that God would raise him from the dead. God would raise him to life. What about you and I? You and I also must have that same trust in our Heavenly Father, that God is always beside us, taking care of us. And when we leave this earth, his promise to us is to bring us home to him. And in that, we continue to trust that God is taking care of us. Death will not have victory over us. We will spend eternity with God, our Heavenly Father, forevermore hallelujah what great news that is okay let's go to verse 29 through 33 men and brethren let me speak freely to you of the patriarch david that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption this jesus god this jesus god has raised up of which we are all witnesses therefore being exalted to the right hand of god and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he poured out this which you now see and hear so again peter was not speaking of king david because king david was long dead and remained buried So how did Peter know he was speaking of Jesus? Well, we must remember that Peter was a witness to Jesus' resurrection, and he knew that he did not stay in the grave. Peter then affirmed that what the people were seeing was the work of the risen and ascended Jesus who sent his Holy Spirit upon his church. Verse thirty four and thirty five for David did not ascend into heavens, into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Again, Peter is speaking of Jesus. Jesus in it <clears throat> excuse me in his bodily form. Jesus is up in heaven, now sitting at the right. excuse me, at the right hand of the Father, whereas David's body still remains in the grave. While Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords over his church, in this dispensation of time, a time is coming when Jesus and all his enemies will be defeated and Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years and all of his enemy will be under his feet. And for that, we look with anticipation for that time. And I believe it's coming real soon. Verses 36 through 38. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter is telling the people that they can have what they have. He was emphatically stating that Jesus, whom they crucified, is both Lord and Christ. Christ means anointed of God. So Jesus is both Lord and and the anointed of God, and the anointed one of God prophesied through, uh, he was prophesied throughout the Torah, throughout the writings of the prophets, that he is the son of God, that he is Lord over all. And then he is saying, and you killed him. Suddenly the people got it. They had killed their Messiah, the one whom they were anxiously awaiting for for so many centuries. And they were cut to the core of their heart, regretting what they had done. And the people cried out, What can we do now? Peter, probably somewhat amazed, then preached repentance. But then what does repentance mean? It doesn't just mean feeling sorry for what you did, but it goes deeper than that, far more than that. It means to actually change. Change from your way of thinking to, to think something different and these Jews earlier, they had despised Jesus enough to have him crucified, but now they could see he truly was their Messiah. They had to completely change their mind into thinking of their thinking of Jesus, to turn their direction toward the things of God, then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is what Peter is preaching. Be immersed. That's what baptized means, into the things of God. This is a hard change, changing from the ways of the world to the ways of Jesus. That's true immersion. And when they truly repented, the Apostle Peter told them their sins would be forgiven. God would forgive them for killing his son. All their sins would be forgiven. So as a sign of their repentance, new believers were water baptized as a public affirmation that they had turned to Jesus. Now, the question arises here, where was water around there for 3,000 people? Because that's how many received Christ. Uh, to be water baptized, there wasn't a river nearby. But then there were baptism founts all around the people, or the temple, I should say, for people to clean up um, before they entered the temple grounds. So how do I know that? Well, I spent a couple of days around the temple in Jerusalem, and I saw the ruins of these baptismal founts. There are hundreds of relics of these founts all around the temple. And so while scripture does not say it happened this way, but this is one way people could be water baptized to publicly proclaim Jesus as their Savior and be forgiven of their sins. And this was within a very easily walking distance from where they had come from so while this was huge the apostle peter then stated they were not only they would not only have remission of or forgiveness of their sins they would receive the same gift of the holy spirit as peter and the 120 apostles and disciples received in the upper room when they were baptized in the holy spirit What a miracle! 3,000 people saved, born again into the kingdom of God, water baptized and freed from their sin of crucifying Christ as well as all of their sins, and now they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. What a God we serve! Now, while it does not state here, these 3,000 people were baptized in the Holy Spirit as well as... They even spoke in tongues because this is what Peter had said. We can only assume, um, just as Peter had claimed, the gift of the Holy Spirit was also available to them to receive. Then, here's a promise in verse 39. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That same salvation message is offered to everyone Jew and Gentile even today to receive forgiveness of sins. We must turn from the ways of the world and accept Jesus as the true Messiah, the Savior of the world, to accept Jesus personally into our life and If this is something you want to do, then you must repent. Turn turn from not believing in Jesus to trusting now in Jesus. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and through him you have forgiveness of sins. Then live your life trusting in him to take care of you every single day. Verse 40 and verse 41. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. Now, Peter didn't stop there, but told of many testimonies, along with exhorting the people, be saved from this perverse nation or generation that they lived in. 3,000 people gladly believed and received what Peter had preached, receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord, and were baptized, giving public affirmation of their faith in Jesus and something happens, always happens in water baptism and they were offered then the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit and so day by day people were being brought to the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. This verse here is a powerful verse. It's a very practical verse, giving us four examples on how the church should operate. Number one, Stay steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. For us, keep in the word of God, because that's God's word to us. Number two, stay in fellowship with one another. The Bible tells us not to forsake the assembly together, because when we are together, believers together, we support one another. We share with one another as the need arises. And then three, break bread together celebrating the Lord's Supper, gathering together in fellowship. It's a command given us to us to remember all that Jesus has done for us. Now, whether it is to share a meal around the reminder of the bread and wine or simply the bread and wine celebrated around remembering all that Jesus has done for us. This should be done on a regular basis. And then number four, Pray, 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 pray together, worship together, commune with God. And it's the key of staying close to him. This is the foundation of the church. And this is how a Christian must live even today to grow in the ways of the Lord. And then verses 43 through 45. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles now all who believed were together and had all things in common sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as as any one had need you know only god can change the heart of a person that is a miracle and as such when it said fear what i what we mean here is an awesome respect and honor For the Lord, those who came to him, those who believed in him, an awesome respect. So this was represented by the wonders and signs that were done through the apostles. And when God is respected, miracles will happen. The power of God is at work. Lives are touched and changed, and God's work can be done. All who believed began to share with one another as people had need. Some even sold their possessions to help a brother or sister in the Lord who was in need. Now, we need to remember that 3,000 Jews were saved that day. So now we have 3,120 believers in Jesus Christ. Now, that's a very large amount of new believers at one time. And more were being added daily and there were those who came from outside of jerusalem and even outside of israel and they wanted to stay to hear the apostles teaching to learn more and only had provisions of what they had carried with them there were those <clears throat> excuse me whose new faith brought maybe even contention at their homes to maybe even they were ostracized out of their home so coming to christ doesn't always mean peace will reign in the home. And for a Jew to become a believer in Jesus could cause some drastic changes in one's life. And so they all needed the community of believers to help them grow in their new faith and even provide provisions temporarily for their physical needs. So there were many reasons why these first uh, century new believers at Pentecost needed to surround themselves together, but they were all hungry to learn more about Jesus and how to grow in their new faith. This doesn't mean, however, I must say Um, this is not to support communal living, as we have seen with some cults. We are not required to separate ourselves from the world, but to go out into the world to witness the gospel for Jesus. We are to make a difference in this world for Christ. Verses 46 and 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The new Jewish believers, they were all Jewish at this point of time, they continued to go to the temple every day, to pray. After all, they're still Jewish. With all of their traditions, that had not changed. The law of Moses continued to rule over their lives, but their Messiah had come, and now they were fulfilled Jews. How exciting that was for them. And in addition, they dined together from house to house to learn more about the apostles' teachings, to pray together, to break bread together, share their food with one another, like we would do with a potluck. And they communed with one another, just as Acts 2.42 tells us. These new believers, they were so excited about their new faith, and they continued to share their testimony of Jesus' wherever they went. And for those who received, they were invited to join them as they went from house to house to learn more of the apostles' teachings, to join them with a meal centered around the elements of bread and wine to remember what Jesus had done for them, praying and worshiping together and sharing themselves with one another. And as such, the church began to grow, meaning more and more people were coming to faith in Jesus, trusting and obeying his command as re-echoed by the apostles. And this is something we should all be doing even today. Hallelujah was a long, long chapter, but we finished. And so I encourage you to join us with Acts, uh, chapter three, in our next uh, in our next episode, our next podcast. And until then, uh, until then, this is Pastor Joyce Erickson with BelieversBibleSchool.com dot and we will see you or we will talk with you in our next podcast. God bless you.